And then he would reach over and grab my leg, start rubbing my leg, trying to unbutton my pants. And I was trying to push his hand away. And he was like, if you don't let me do this to you, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna take her sister and I'm gonna do it to her. Welcome back to Other People's Lives. I'm Joe Santagato. I'm Greg Dybeck. For anyone out there that wants to be a guest on the show, don't hesitate to reach out to us. You can reach us at our website, oplshow.com, or send us an email directly at oplpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, and before we get started, quick shout out to our growing Patreon community. You can head over to patreon.com slash oplshow if you want weekly behind-the-scenes uh, bonus episodes, and plus you get to be part of our Helping Other People charitable venture where each month we donate to a different charity or put together some sort of charitable venture and you can help us decide how to use that money so that's patreon.com slash opl show so let's get into today's conversation just a fair warning ahead of time this conversation will be covering some heavy themes some stories including sex trafficking violence abuse if you've listened to the show in the past you know we feel that it's important to cover these stories when we can episodes like I was part of a child pornography ring or my mother made me her prisoner and while these are not the easiest conversations to have we value the voices of the survivors who have lived through these traumatic and unfortunate experiences and are eager to share their stories with others which in our opinion can really only help so with that said we're speaking to a woman who was forced into sex slavery at the age of six and we're going to go over how this story actually ties back to her own family members how she attempted to escape her situation and how it plays a role in her life today as a survivor of these circumstances and we have the guests on the show and seriously thank you so much for being on Uh, i know this can't be easy to speak about of course well thank you i appreciate y'all bringing me on yeah it's it's definitely a touchy topic but i think that overall you you learn and you grow from your experiences and you can help others through theirs that they might have gone through. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm going to assume whatever the title of this episode end up, ends up being, it's uh, going to give away the fact that, you know, you're trafficked as a sex slave by your own great grandfather. And for us, uh, this story stood out because like so many cases of abuse and manipulation, uh, we've noticed a trend in a lot of the emails that we get where people's own family members are often involved in the abuse and the traumas that they've endured. So can you walk us through how this all began with your own great-grandfather, which I think for a lot of people is sort of a really unimaginable circumstance? Yes, it is very strange. It's a very common trend for people to be abused or you know be involved with stuff like this through their family because you know you're close to them you've already established that trust and children are the easiest to manipulate um so for me we would always go visit my great-grandparents they live in the country um, on a farm tractors (laughs) bales of hay all that and we would we would go probably twice a month and I guess I guess it started when I was really young and my really really young memory memories are really repressed I think I mentioned that in the email that I sent um, I still have some memories that are repressed from that but I would say that it started he would take me on these I guess tractor rides and we would go down, like down the field go with fishing as he would say and it kind of started just as him like touching me everywhere, being like, you know, you're turning into a woman. Remember, I was six at the time, so it's kind of crazy thinking that he was saying that to a six-year-old, knowing that he was in his 70s at the time. Um, But, yeah, so he would take me. We would go feed the animals or go just on doing chores around the farm, I guess. And it was just him for a few years, and as time went on, he would just, they were, they had this barn on the property and he would take me to the barn and he would just say that we were going to do some chores. Like, I need you to, here's a shovel. Can you do this? And then there would be other people that would show up and I would ask, why are these men here? And he would say, don't worry about it. And he would give me, he would say, here's some candy. And I was like, that doesn't look like candy. And it was drugs. I have absolutely no idea what kind of drugs those were. Still to this day, 
I can kind of guess and imagine. I was also injected with different types of drugs as well. I remember them injecting it and then just kind of blacking out. Um, yeah, that, <laughs> I would say that the worst point of that would have to be when I saw another girl that was brought into the barn and I was on drugs when I saw the girl when they brought her in and I, I couldn't believe that there was somebody else. I didn't recognize her. I didn't know who she was. And another man entered the room. My great grandfather wasn't even there. I was just tied up in the corner and I watched what he was doing and he was walking up to the, the woman I saw or the woman, the girl. Um, she was, she was young. She was probably about eight years old and I was 10 years old at the time. And he walked up to her. He was undressing. He dropped his his clothes and there was a knife there. And so I I took that knife and uh, when he was distracted and I went up to him and I just started stabbing. Don't really remember a lot about that. I just remember that me and the girl got out. She ran back home because apparently she lived close. And I'll say that, that was a turning point for me because I realized you know, this is affecting somebody else and not just me. And I think I grasped the reality of the situation. It wasn't until that, that I realized that I could potentially get out of the situation, but I was still involved in it for a few years after that. And when he threatened my siblings, cause I had two younger sisters and he said that he was going to do the same to them if I spoke up about it. And when he did that, I, I immediately went to my family and I told them uh, partly what had happened. Just, just whatever came out is what I told them. And it actually turns out that he did molest one of my younger sisters, but um, she doesn't remember it at all. She said that she has, she knows that it happened, but she blocked out the memories. But that's basically the, <laughs> the gist of it. Um, Wow. I mean, first, I just want to say thank you so much for, like, talking about this. Like, I can only imagine, you know, how hard it is to, to speak about this. But, uh, you know, a question that I had early on in the story was, you know, when these things are happening to you, I mean, you're at such a young age, you don't really understand, you know, the, what's going on. Um, but do you ever remember like now you said like he was like oh here's this candy or whatever but it made you feel a certain way did you know at the time that there was something off about the situation and um you know you never like felt like i'm gonna tell my parents about something or you know like well, did you know that something was off at the time yes yeah, so i i i knew that something wasn't right just because so my family was very religious and we we went to church and i knew that uh, we were taught okay anything sexual anything to do like that is wrong but for me at that age i not understanding fully what was going on an older family member he's a male you know i respect him i trusted him i loved him at the, you know at the time i just didn't i i, I trusted him so i was like okay this is what I'm supposed to do. So I think that it created this aspect where I blame myself because we were taught in church, you know, you're not supposed to do this or you, you need to make sure that you don't create the desire in men. That was a very common theme in, in my church is, you know, you are responsible for the men's feelings. And so for me, I blame myself saying I must've done something to cause this. And I, I guess I, I was kind of ashamed of that. And so I didn't want to say anything. And then it, it was more of him threatening my family, threatening my friends. He said he would find, you know, my friends, he would kill all my family, which doesn't make at all sense. And I know that he wouldn't do that now, but to, you know, a young kid that was terrifying and I could only think about losing my family. So it was, I, I definitely did want to go to them a lot. But I never did because I was so afraid of that. Yeah. Do you, and it's interesting that you say that. And then what really helped make you realize how off the situation was, was seeing it being done to another woman. And, you know, in, in that moment, 
do you know what gave you the strength to just really fight for yourself? I mean, you, you picked up the knife and you essentially stabbed a stranger and, and saved this young woman and you were both able to run off. Uh, in situations like that, if you can't even remember, because I know you are young, does your body just take over? I mean, people talk about fight, flight, or freeze, and you know you chose to fight in that instance. Uh, is that something that you kind of think about and reflect on? Yes, um, reflection definitely is one of the most powerful tools. And when I look back at that time, I was I was never a very, I guess, forward emotional emotional girl, and I. I, I would say that I had a pretty good handle on my emotions, but in the time I saw this other girl, something happening to her and, you know, this had been happening to me for years already. And so I think that I was kind of numb to it, but it kind of resurfaced a lot of those feelings and it just kind of turned into anger. And I, you know, it's like, this is happening to me, but and it's sad, it's sad that it happened in that way but a lot of times I think that, that could be a trigger and I am somebody who is very compassionate for others so I think for myself I held the blame saying that you know I caused this to happen to me and you know I I guess I deserve this because this is what is going on but when I saw it happening to somebody else it just it 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 triggered the thought of wait a second this is happening to somebody else as well it's like I, I don't think it's like they there's no way that they deserve this that this isn't their fault you know as also another young girl and so the thinking it should have been applied to me as well but when i saw her i was just angry all of my emotions anger took over and i just ran over there and i grabbed it and i started i just started stabbing and of course i mean, i'm a 10 year old little girl i have no no idea how much damage that i did but it was enough to be able to get out so that's that's really what it was when when you guys you know in that moment where you know you kind of i mean you begin stabbing this guy and you guys kind of run out like where did you go and and did you have a conversation with this girl at all so we ran out and i i was like are you you know are you okay she she looked fine she she seemed fine um some of her shirt was still in the <laughs> in the um, barn because he had taken it off and i was just like forget about it um just i was like where do you live <laughs> and, and where do you need to go and she said that she lived nearby and she just started running off and i i was just like be safe go go like go there tell your family and that's really it, it was like a 15 second conversation and she was already running home and so we were at the barn on my great grandfather's property so i just ran back to the house so you know, I ran away, but it wasn't really running away. It was running back because we were staying with them. So it was very, for me, it was a hard situation because, you know, I got out of that one circumstance, but I was running right back into another. And for her, thankfully, she did, she did get away. But it was two years later that I, I uh, tell my family. And that. So how, how did you... How did your great grandfather explain that there's a guy with stab wounds in like the barn? Oh, I have absolutely no idea. I have no idea what happened to the man. I didn't even see my great grandfather until I was back at the house the next day because this was this was in the middle of the night. <laughs> so this was probably three, four a.m. and you know, we woke up in the morning and he was there. And so I, I guess that he just handled it in his own way, whatever happened. Maybe the man was fine. Like I said, I was 10, so I don't really know how much damage I could do, but, um, yeah. So I have, I really have no idea what happened to that man and I don't know who that girl is and, or anything. <laughs> wow. And now, like you said, you're, you're running away is, you, nothing like you're you're still in the same world as your great-grandfather so what was your next interaction with him so basically the next day he he took me off and we were like going fishing oh we're just gonna go fishing and my other siblings were said they wanted to go and he said no it's just gonna be us so 
my great grandmother, she stayed behind and we went out to the pond and he basically threw me into the pond and he held me underwater and repeatedly. And he said, you know, you are going to obey what I tell you to do. And you're not going to tell anybody about what has happened or what was going on or like anything that's happened, anything that's going on, basically just re-threatening me, trying to re-scare me to not coming forward. And it, I mean, it worked. I did not say anything that day, didn't say anything for two years, but I ended up, that's basically what he did. He just took me off. He threatened me, beat me, tried to drown. He didn't actually drown me, but he was using that as a tactic. So what made you eventually tell your parents? I think you said it was two years later and, and how did that go? Yeah, so we were actually all together. My whole family was over there and we were sitting, me and him were sitting on the couch and he had like, he grabbed, he would do this often. And this is in the room with everybody and all of my family. And he would grab a blanket and he would put it over us. And then he would reach over and grab my legs, start rubbing my leg, trying to unbutton my pants and, and in, in the room with everybody. And I was push, I was trying to push his hand away and he was like, if you don't let me do this to you, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take your sister and I'm going to do it to her. And when he said that, I, I honestly, I just remember being fully overwhelmed with the same feeling of seeing that other girl and just imagining it being my sister. And it, it caused so much anger that I just got up and I threw the blanket down and I ran into the the kitchen and I told my parents right there with him in the next room and I I actually told my mom and my grandmother who that was her dad so I know that that was really hard for her to hear but I, I told them what he was doing just then and I told them he'd been doing it for a while and they they had to, took me away from him and that was that was that but we were we actually still spent the rest of the day there um i was just kept away from him and they we just went home <laughs> after that and they said that do you it's like we're gonna take you to somebody and it all right will you be willing to talk to them and i said okay and a few weeks later i was taken to I, I guess it was a counselor or a therapist and I sat down and she asked me a few questions. I answered them and I never went back. I only went, they only took me one time and that was it. <laughs> so that, that was all. So there was never any sort of like repercussions for him? No, that, that was another part of the story that I know is, is hard for some people to digest, but especially when it comes to, family i was expecting they told me that when we got home they told me that they were going to send the police up there to, to speak with him and so up until a little while ago i i genuinely believed that happened and it wasn't until i had an honest conversation with a different grandparent she said yeah that never happened they never the the police never went and talked to him they never told anybody else it stayed between them and that was it and that was really heartbreaking to hear because, you know, not only did he not suffer any kind of charges, but he was never even s spoken to, to about like with anybody. And, um, yeah, that was really hard. I, we still, I, I think I, I said in my email, basically we still went to all family events. We still saw him all the time. We would walk into the house and I would, just walk straight to the back and refuse to look at him, refuse to hug him or kiss him on the cheek, which is what we would usually always do. And they told me that they got mad at me and said that I still had to do that because they said that they just didn't want to cause any problems in the family. And yeah. <laughs> That's so unreal. And I was, I was hoping that wasn't going to be the case. And, you know, we've heard it in similar stories too, where there is no justice, you know, for, the person who committed these acts and when the family is just so hesitant to reach out to authorities or, or do anything and you know in your situation 
as you're getting older throughout this, did you ever blame or resent your parents? And do you still have a relationship with them? I still, yes, I still have a relationship with them. I honestly, there's, there's two ways that I, that I imagine was going on in their head. And one is that they think that it was exaggerated and that none of it really ever happened. And if that's the case, honestly, I feel like that's the best case because at least they don't believe that it happened. And that's why they didn't go forward. But the other case, which is what I believe is the truth, is that they just genuinely didn't want to cause problems in the family and that they were so obsessed with the like just the appearance and the like what it could do and what it would make them look like or what it would make their family look like I guess that they just didn't want to come forward and I do or I did hold resentment for a while secretly never like confronted them um at least I did I had a few conversations when they were still forcing me to to hug him and kiss him on the cheek I did actually stand up for myself um, and say, I'm not going to do this. I'm no longer going to his, going to the house. I am, I'm not going to do that. When I was a teenager, I think I was probably 16 when I told them, look, I am not going to hug him. I'm not going to kiss him. I'm not going over there. And you can't make me do that. And they just didn't say anything after that. But I, I've let it go. I think I've let it go at this point in my life because as weird as it sounds for their peace of mind I just don't think that it would do anything anymore if I told them everything that happened and I told them you know all that it would it would it would crush them and I like I said I just don't think that it would do anything because he's dead there's 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 no going back i've got i've i've grown from it i've learned from it and maybe one, eventually one day i will have a conversation with them about why they chose to act and do the things that they they did but at this point i just don't think it's going to benefit anybody <laughs> so you've kind of just let this go as far as like explaining to your parents like exactly what had happened to you like even to this day it's you know, you don't hold any sort of resentment to your parents and you don't feel like, I mean, you know, I'm just kind of reiterating what you just said, but you're just like, I'm just not going to talk about it because, you know, whatever. Does a part of you feel like you don't even want to know if they believed you or not? You know, I, when I was younger, I think that, yes, maybe I was in more of a denial phase of I just don't want to know anything oh I don't, I don't want to hear their excuses i don't want to hear any of that but at at this point i like i said i just let it go not for them not for him not for anybody else but for myself because if if i harbor any sort of resentment towards them or towards my other family for not doing anything then it's i think it's like i said before it's not benefiting anything and I would still, I would like to know. I would like to know why they didn't do anything. But I, I don't know if y'all understand this, but, you know, as you get older and you start connecting more with your parents, it kind of turns more into a friendship than, you know, them being a parental figure. And I just feel like there needs to be more time for them to actually be open and honest about what's going on. Because at this point, I feel like if I brought this up, there would just be more and more excuses. And I just don't feel like right now is a time where they're open enough to speak about that. So I have all the patience in the world and I will probably bring it up to them in a few years because I am curious and I do want to know, you know, why didn't you call the police and make charges? And mm -hmm. I, when I do think, when I think about it, and when I'm discussing it, because my, my siblings know, we do get angry and we do let it out, but it's more of like a therapy session, I guess, for us to, to vent and talk about it. And it's not a continual anger or resentment that I hold against them. It's just in the moment when I'm thinking about it or, or speaking about it. Um, but like I said, I, I just don't feel like they're open enough to be honest about what really went down. If, yeah. if they, if they, 
turned around and like eventually we get to that point you ask them and they are honest and they say well yeah we we believed you or we knew about it but we didn't or not that we knew about it but like we believed your story but we just didn't want to ruffle any feathers like would that change your relationship with your parents after hearing that um no because i to be honest i already believe that that's the case i when i was saying i think there's two ways that it or i guess there's two possibilities and i really do believe that they believe that it happened at least to a point and they just genuinely didn't want to ruffle feathers because they said that they told me that they said that they didn't want to break up or cause problems within the family and that it it's very much always been about appearances and how everything looks on the outside yeah family and i find that to be very common in very religious families because you know whatever could be happening at home but and it looks picture perfect on the outside but you know within the home there could be anything going on so it's yeah that's that's really yeah no no and it's you know hearing a story like this for the first time you know you you have lived through this you have reflected on it constantly i'm sure and it's very easy as a listener for anger to build up so strongly and it's very easy for people listening i'm sure to think how could you have a relationship with your parents how could you not bring this up yet uh but there there can be no judgment about your decision i believe because you have lived through this and you are i'm assuming your focus is yourself and your feelings and moving on and i'm curious like to, to get to this point of not harboring resentment of feeling like you're in an okay place with your parents not really prepared or, or needing to bring this up and get exact answers from them yet what was that process like for you to get to that point you know what kind of work did you have to i guess do on yourself to get there so first i just want to you know for anybody who was listening or hearing you know it is very to hear a story and 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 be get angry and you know why are you still even talking to your parents why why is this still a thing and and don't get me wrong i have you know it's not that i haven't had conversations about it at all you know but it's just conversations that were dead ends and it went nowhere and it just wasn't, it wasn't doing any good. And it, it was doing very bad for me and it was just making the whole situation work. So I think for me, I just cut off everybody else involved in the situation. And I looked inward. I moved when I moved away, I just wasn't as close with my family. I, the process for me of, of getting better really started after I told them and I was still at home. Um, I was 12 when I, when I told them. So honestly, I would say by the time that I left for college, I was pretty okay. And that's a crazy thing to say, but I have always been a very self-aware, um, child at all stages of my life. I think that that comes from the experiences that I had at a young age and having to learn how to grow up very fast. And you know, even though I never came out and spoke to anybody about it, I did, I did ask certain questions to people and, and do my own research, trying to figure out, you know, what was going on in my own head and how I needed to make sure that this wasn't going to negatively affect me or have a hold on me for the rest of my life. Because I feel like there are two ways that you can live your life. You can live it out of fear or you can live it out of love. And fear is very conditional because when you act from fear, you're confused about your path in life and where you wanna go and your ego is so loud and noisy and telling you, you know, how did you let this happen? You, you're an idiot, you, you, <laughs> like you should have come forward before. But when you just push your ego out of the way and you act out of love and you, basically that's what I did. I just, I embraced love and I said, I'm going to live a life 
that is about love, loving myself, and I'm going to learn, learn properly. And when you love, you feel aligned, and it's just your ego is just not as present in your mind, and you'll see more abundance. And I feel that with awareness comes power. And so I started a very large, when I had the, I guess, the platform when I graduated and left for college. I became really involved in a lot of um, organizations, programs that raised money, brought awareness to sex trafficking, to abuse, to molestation, all of the above. And I think that that was also very healing for me because I could help others. And I realized that although I had been through something so terrible, the I could just let it destroy me and bring me down into a dark place. And I know that I don't want to say go, oh, oh, woe is me. All this happened to me because I do understand that it is very hurtful and harmful. And if somebody did take the destructive path, I'm not blaming them because that is it's very easy to to go that way. But I decided, you know, I'm going to use this in a way to build myself up to be a stronger person than ever and also help others through their own situation. Because now that I've experienced this myself, I can see the triggers. I can see the warning signs of other people and I can try to help others and bring them out of it or help them through their healing process afterwards. So um, I think that, and you were asking about the process, I think a very good aspect is that I did grow up in church, although with all the negatives that, that come along with that, I think a positive is the spiritual aspect and that it did, I was very aware. And so I found a lot of peace through being able, I guess, to, to reach out to others, but to use, I guess, to use what happened to me as a superpower, you could say, because it gives you the the understanding of what others could go through or what they, they might have gone through or still going through and the strength to be able to pull them through or at least attempt to. So I think that that's where a lot of my, even though I said that when I left, before I even left for college, I had gone through a lot of healing and I was okay at that point. I, the majority of healing did take place after I left school after I left because I did situation and I was no longer in this atmosphere and I was starting to become more of my own person and allowing all of my past experiences to, to change me for the better, but not to bring me down. And I just, I find it very important to tell people that, you know, if you don't, if you don't stand for something, you're going to fall for everything. And you know, what you've gone through in your past isn't something that dictates your future. You know, you're learning, you're growing, and I'm not going to live live in my past experiences because that's nothing but harmful. And that's that's kind of the process, I guess, that I went through. I think it takes, like, the amount of strength in what everything you're saying is, like, astounding to me. And, and even in your email you know, you wrote something um, that I just wanted to read. It says, it is so important to me that people realize that even if uh, the people around them do not support or believe them, that their experiences and feelings uh, about those experiences are valid. And I think it's just amazing that even though this very traumatic thing happened to you and this would, this will, I'm assuming, you know, take maybe the rest of your life to get to a, a, a you know, a place of, you know, complete, you know, forgiveness or, you know, whatever, uh, you know, comes from this. Um, but you're using it, like you said, as like a superpower and in a way to help other people and, 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 you know, just being able to come on this show, um, would, would be enough for me to be like, wow, like this takes an, an incredibly strong person to just speak about these, these things, but you're even taking it, speaking about it and putting it into action and trying to help other people. So I just wanted to say, like, I think it, you are incredible, um, for all of that, because there are a lot of people that don't even, you know, that don't have traumatic things happen to them that don't go out of their way to help people or try to do anything positive. And, and for you to, you know, experience something like this and, you know, sort of like take yourself out of it and say, how can I use this for good? It's just incredible to me. 
Well, thank you so much. I, I appreciate your kind words. I, you know, I just, I feel like it's a waste and it, it doesn't make sense not to, to do anything about it because not only am I helping others, but I'm helping myself through that. And, you know, through seeing others through and, and, and seeing what I can do to stop this happening from, from other people, you know, even though, and I will uh, just a, a side note, even though I did not, um, you know, nothing happened. Not, I did not, but my parents did not tell, I guess, anybody else. I did. This is a part of the story I didn't say. So I actually went around to extended family when I was older and because I had younger cousins, younger girls that were, you know, being born and growing up around me. And I just felt like I was responsible for letting them know that, hey, this happened. And I just want to make you aware of this so that when you bring her around him, that that you are not just clueless about what he has done and the things that he could do. And I got a lot of resentment from that and a lot of people didn't believe me, but I felt that that was necessary to do. And, you know, the strength, you were talking about the strength to do this. You know, I, I find that this is one of the, this is one of the reasons that I wanted to go into counseling. So I'm currently on the, in my master's program to be a licensed therapist. And I decided to do this because I feel that my purpose in life is to be a mirror for other people, to reflect the things that they can use to grow from. I want to assist others in, I guess, ascending, <laughs> obtaining a understanding or a higher understanding of the universe, of themselves, of their highest, of their higher consciousness, of everything that has to understand the experiences in their life. And I want to utilize what I've gone through to, to help others. And also I think another important point that I, I should say in my recovery is that I, you know, I did the work on myself, but I, I also, you know, reached out to others. And when I was older, when I was younger, I did not. I, I think that although it would have been others I didn't feel like I could so I think that that kind of caused me to be even stronger because I had to figure it out figure all of it out on my own and the healing process although it took a long time I I, I think the most important aspect of my healing was noticing the thoughts that I was having I noticed my own triggers what triggered my anxiety my anger my unhappiness um, anything that kind of kept my mind just trapped in like a negative loop of what had gone on or maybe blaming myself or being mad at my parents, anything like that. I just noticed what was going on that ties into the awareness because if we allow our, like, cause a lot of thoughts are unconscious. You, they just run through your mind and you have no control over them. They just run, they come up and you're like, oh no, I don't, I don't want to be thinking this. Well, it, it can become an addiction to kind of focus on those thoughts and to just constantly be, be pulling yourself deeper and deeper into a hole. And I think that that can lead to a lot of suffering. And I definitely went through that, but I think that that is really what brought me out is just stopping, noticing my thoughts, noticing my triggers, recognizing those and being able to adapt. Mm. And um, adapt from that. I, I, I would take those thoughts and I would turn them into maybe a very simple new thought observation. Every time I would go into a certain place, I would maybe bring up something else. I'll say, okay, I, I'm blaming myself. Maybe I'm in a, a cycle of blaming myself and I'm in this negative loop of saying why why did I allow this to happen to me? Why did I you know, do this? And instead of doing that, I would refocus myself saying, you know, you were young, you didn't understand, but because you went through this, now you can help others. And that's kind of just, you're, you're changing the cycle of suffering. You're, you're adopting a new thought and replacing that thought. And by becoming the silent, 
observer of your thoughts, you can understand how, thinking of the word, um, unsubstantial your thoughts are, and you can release the power that they have over you. So that is the main component, I guess, of what got me through that is noticing my faults, noticing my triggers and reevaluating them and changing them. Yeah, I just I have to say I'm I'm so thankful that we are recording all of this right now. I think that's so beautifully said and you've given us so much and, and the listeners to unpack. And I know I speak for Joe here when you become a licensed counselor, I mean, there's just no doubt that you will be changing a lot of lives uh, and have so much to offer, just pulling from your own story, your own healing process, and, and just everything that you're clearly learning on top of your ability to express it. And it's just, uh, I don't know, I just feel like you're a gem to the world. Like, I don't know how else to say it. And, uh, you know, we're just, I'm just really thankful, like I said, to, to be getting all of this. And it's just, I already am just imagining myself listening back to this to literally take notes uh, of everything that you've just said for like the past 20 minutes. And it's so important. And this is just embodying, you know, what we want the show to be about uh, among so many other things. But, you know, for stories like this and, and for survivors like yourself, um, it's, it's just beautiful and, and we really can't thank you enough. I I receive all of that. Thank you so much. And, 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 you know, realizing how important y'all side of this is too, of, of getting this out to, to everybody and, you know, making it known like you read what I said before about validating people's experiences and regardless of, you know, how many people are around you that say, Oh, you know, that didn't happen or, you know, even if it did happen, suck it up and get over it. You know, your experiences and those feelings about those experiences are valid, regardless of what anybody else says. And if those people around you are bringing you down, let them go. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, I, seriously, thank you so much. And, and you know, just like what, what Greg was saying, like, we we feel like it is important to spotlight, you know, these sort of stories so that people who kind of go through the same things or maybe don't have a lot of understanding about, you know, people who deal with traumatic things, um, they have a better understanding. But also I think, you know, when we have episodes like this and we're talking to people like you, like also to spotlight people like you in the world, like that people like you exist because it's not normal. It is very rare that someone can do exactly what you're doing and taking a traumatic event and turning into like something good dedicating the rest of your life to that is like it's incredible so i i mean you know i'm we're i feel honored to be even talking to you and we thank you so much for for coming on the show and and sharing all of that oh well i received that all and thank you so much i appreciate y'all being you know open to to hearing it i know that it is traumatic for some people to hear but I thank you for all of your kind words. <laughs> no, of course. Thank you. And, you know, good luck with, with everything as you pursue this journey. And uh, if, if you're open to it, if anyone reaches out through us after hearing this episode that maybe wants to get in touch with you, um, we, we can talk after. But if that's something you're open to, happy to, you know, send people along. Um, but again, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. Of course. And yes, of course, I'm open to anybody that, you know, wanted to reach out. If they had any questions at all, I'm very willing to answer them or help any way that I can. Awesome. Well, thank you so much and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Y'all as well. I used to be someone who would make excuses like I didn't need healthy today because I was so busy at work or I was on the go all day. But honestly, it's just not a good enough excuse, especially when Aviv exists. Aviv is quick and nutritious, blender-free smoothies full of high-quality ingredients and nothing artificial. 
and Aviv comes in colorful frozen cubes that you simply place in a bottle. You then add your liquid of choice, wait 20 minutes till it melts, and then just shake it up. And you'll have an incredible smoothie on the go with no blender needed. And their online smoothie subscription is completely customizable and commitment free. So you can start eating healthy on the go or no matter how busy you are. And you can order online with the code OTHERPEOPLESLIVES20 and get 20% off plus free delivery right to your door. Visit Aviv Nutrition, that's E-V-I-V-E, and get your delicious Aviv products today. Have you ever just wanted a snack in the middle of the night but didn't want to leave the house to get it? Or did you ever realize you're missing a key ingredient in order to finish an amazing home-cooked meal? Well, luckily with DoorDash, you can get whatever you need, whether it be groceries or food from your favorite local spot, delivered right to your door in under an hour. It can literally be as much or as little as you need. DoorDash is here to help with your cravings and your household items. Ordering is easy, and your items will be left safely outside your door when you choose contactless delivery drop-off. And for a limited time, our listeners can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code OPL. That's 25% off up to $10 value and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code OPL. Don't forget, that's code OPL for 25% off your first order with DoorDash. Subject to change, terms apply. Our next sponsor is Nutrafol. Uh, Nutrafol is formulated with potent botanicals to help you grow your hair as strong as you are. And for people who don't know, 80 million men and women in the U.S. experience thinning hair, yet it's still not openly talked about. In fact, it's still pretty shamed. Um, but Nutrafol is uh, physician-formulated. Uh, like I said, it's, drug, it's drug-free. They use natural, clinically effective botanicals to help for better hair growth throughout whole body health. Um, also, it helps you get a handle on better sleep, stress response, skin, nails, and libido. A lot of things that this could be helping out. Um, it does work in clinical studies. 72% of men saw more scalp coverage and 86% of women saw improved hair growth after just six months. Uh, wh- whether you're experiencing thinning or not, you deserve hair, um, strong hair. Uh, Nutrafol can help you achieve your best hair growth naturally. Okay, so you know you're not going to be using any sort of drugs or anything like that. It's all natural things that you're going to be putting into your body. Um, but you can grow thicker, healthier hair, and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and using the promo code OPL to save $15 off of your first month subscription. This is their best offer anywhere, uh, and it's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time. Uh, plus, there's free shipping on every order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com. The promo code is OPL for hair as strong as you are, folks. So, like I said, 80 million people are dealing with this, and if you want to try something new, try Nutrafol. Uh, promo code, again, OPL. Save $15 off your first month subscription. I feel emotionally and almost physically, like, exhausted mm-hmm. after mm-hmm. that like I, I like you know just like i was saying like you know for the show obviously we wanted to you know have these stories that were unique and like shed light on these things but also just like there's these people that you meet doing this show like it's such a pleasure for i mean i could speak for the both of us to to be able to even talk to these people like that it was it's astounding like it it just got even more like incredible as you know the conversation kind of you know unfolded and 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 to take something like that and then turn it into a career is like yeah it's who is you know what i'm saying like who is this woman exactly it takes strength enough to even relive a story like that and just be being able to share that story Uh, will help so many people realize that they're not alone in the abuse, the trauma, whatever it is that they're experiencing. Uh, But like you said, then someone like her who's uh, just been able to process this so well, turn it into her career to help others, her superpower, like she said, um, you know, it's it's just beautiful and and we're lucky. And this in particular, I just think... uh, Like I said in the beginning, and, and we've said this on the show before, we just, we see these really disturbing trends in emails sometimes and one of them is abuse suffered at the hands of family members whether it be rape sexual abuse just 
domestic violence, anything from brothers, mothers, dads, whatever it may be. And it's just hard to imagine like a deeper hole. Like when your family, when your idea of a family is supposed to be the protectors, the loved ones, imagine, you know, there's people who don't have that first of all. And then there's people who have that, but what is supposed to be your protector is, is your abuser. It's just so dark. Like I just, it's gotta be one of the kind of loneliest feelings. And then for her to, like she said, like the piece of the email you pulled out where, you know, now you're surrounded by people who aren't supporting you and believing you. Uh, and it's just so important, I think, to hear from someone like her that went through such a dark period like that. Um, and, and just, she said so much the simplest version is like your experiences are valid and your experiences are real even if people don't believe you and then beyond that just her process it's it's just amazing i think she said you know if you can be the silent observer of your thoughts just how that can kind of change everything that type of reflection to step out of yourself and, and kind of look back at the inside uh, and, and her ability to do that throughout the years and, and still do it to help others is just incredible. Yeah, just a, just like a, an incredible person. It's just an, an incredible person. And I like there's nothing even else to say. It's people like that don't come along, you know, often. Yeah. So it's it's uh, it's just, uh, you know, I'm at a loss for words. Like, I honestly, this is just wild and and everything she was saying she was so well spoken and you could tell that you know she has done so much on her like road to you know recovery and healing and really thought about it and then also really thought about it in a selfless way selfless selfless way got it uh <laughs> um you know, thinking about like how how can I go about this in a way to to help other people that may have been dealing with something similar. It's like I said, just an incredible person, and you know, it's it's just I'm so glad that we were able to, you know, find, like connect with this person and and be able to make this piece of content that people can now hear. And like you were saying, like I'm glad we're getting this all on tape. Like people need to hear this. People need to you know listen to this episode and and really, you know. There's a lot to take away from it. And just use it as a resource, I think, which, yeah. is, which is great. Yeah. So like I said um, earlier, for anyone out there that wants to be a guest on the show, uh, don't hesitate to reach out to us. You can go to our website, OPLshow.com, or send us an email directly at OPLpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, and follow us on Instagram at OPL Podcast if you want those bonus episodes and to help us decide our monthly charitable ventures, head to patreon.com slash OPL show. And if you want a little fun in your life, a little connection and new memories with friends, Joe and I made a game. It's called Pay the Price. It's a trivia party game. We think it's super fun. Uh, you can head over to paythepricegame.com and check that out. Yep, and that is all. See you guys next time.